so just as Renzi said, my name is Ruan. This is the ninth year, I think, I'm in Stellenbosch. Um, so been here for quite some time, um, been part of Just Day now for this is the 10th year. Um, and really such a privilege to be a part of the things that God is doing here. And, um, yeah, so I'm on eldership here with Kala and um, Warren that's in, in Malkos at the moment and just greetings from their side as well. Uh, yeah, so being part of the, the church, I think you guys would have seen, even if you're visiting this morning, you would have seen that the, the we've got different people coming up and sharing and contributing. And even just if you look at the way that people dress, you'll see that there's quite diversity <laughs> in the things that, that are brought forward. And I think if as soon as you form part of a, a group of people, you start associating certain things with certain people. And even within the church, like if I, if I think there's, there's those certain characters that really always just stand out to me. Like if we think of Warren, almost immediately you think, at some point when he speaks about Jesus, he's going to start crying. <laughs> or he's going to break out in, in some prophetic word. If you think about Lorraine, it's always going to be, the way she communicates, always going to have this creative picture to it. And on the flip side, we get Revensu. And you can be sure that when things are communicated, <laughs> line by line, <laughs> it'll be communicated really well. And it's so cool about the body of Christ and just the diversity that there is. But I think this, the same sort of association that we have with, with people that we know, we also do with certain characters in the Bible. And so one of these characters that I, I think I realize I have a certain picture of is John. So if I have to throw out to you, like, what is your connotation with John? I think a lot of us would immediately think, this love, like love is the thing that comes through. Or another thing that I, I like to think about, John, is sort of something of Warren, where he's up in the clouds. He's not walking with the rest of us here. The things that he communicates and the things that he exceeds is always up there. And I think it's, it's a bit justified. I mean, if you look at the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all start with this story either Jesus' genealogy or some of the events leading up to Jesus' birth. And it's, it's like packed out really nicely. And then we get to our friend John. In John 1, verse 1 to 5, you see how he starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And you just see that he's, he's a bit different <laughs> to the other guys. And then we go on, and we read through John. And John has three epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John that he writes. And then we see him coming out in the book of Revelation as well. And just in his different letters and writings, he repeats the word love more than 80 times. And I think that's the reason why we speak about him as the apostle of love. <laughs> and it's interesting, actually, in, in the book of John, where, where he speaks about himself, he, he always refers to himself in the third person. So there's, there's also this picture of, of someone who is humble, who doesn't want to elevate himself in the eyes of people, even though he experienced so many of these things. 
And I realized when I get to know someone and I start forming a picture of someone, it's very much based on my experiences with that person. And so it's, it's a certain point in time, but we don't always realize where people have come from and the things that have taken place in their lives. And it's the same with John. We, we have this picture of this, this person where love is a message, but that wasn't always the case. And so I wanted to look at a bit of John's journey and, and just show actually the transformation that took place for him to become the person that we are now familiar with. So the first time we meet John is in Luke 5. So in Luke 5 verse 9, we get to the part where it's John, but it's the well-known story where, where Jesus comes to, to Simon Peter and he's fishing and he's not catching anything and he says, throw your net to the other side and all of a sudden there's this huge catch. And then we see in verse 9, uh, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catches of fish that they had taken. So that's Peter. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we see how James and John, working together with Simon and Peter, have this meeting with Jesus. And they see something of Jesus, and Jesus calls them to come follow me. And they actually leave everything to follow God. Then the next time we, we see John being introduced is in Mark 3, verses 14 to 17. And this is the point where, where Jesus goes and appoints the, the 12 apostles, or we often speak about the 12 disciples. So he says, he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, uh, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, I've got no idea how you pronounce that, but that is the sons of thunder. So it's so interesting. Like in this, he goes on and like names the other 12 people, but the three things he puts in brackets and sort of points out is one, the fact that the 12 are called the apostles, which is quite significant. The other thing is that... Um, Simon, who is later called Peter, which is quite significant. And then it's this interesting characteristic where they refer to James and John as the sons of thunder. Now, not much is given and like not much is unpacked about what is meant by this. But in the very wording of it, I can almost guarantee that it's not referring to this like light, kind, loving type of personality. Uh, in a lot of the people, that the commentaries would, would say that it's, they would assume that it's referring to some bold, almost aggressive personality that these people have. And I think it's justified. If we read a little bit further in Luke 9, we, we get to a place earlier in Luke 9 where Jesus actually sends out his apostles. And they go, and he gives them authority to heal people, to cast out demons, and the craziest things happen, and they experience all of these things. At this point, they've also seen Jesus performing many miracles. It's just after he has fed 5,000 people. It's just after he's walked on the water. So there's obviously a bit of a hype around Jesus and, and the things that he are do he's doing. And now also, they being used. So there's, uh, the chest is coming out a bit. 
So they get to this little town in Samaria, um, and then it says, when when the days drew near to uh, when he sorry, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now we get to James and John. When the disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them. But he turned to them and rebuked them, and they went to another village. I can almost see this playing out in my head. You know, the messenger coming and hearing these things, and James and John, there was a bit of uh, like pomp coming. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we, we, you want us to call fire down from heaven. And we see Jesus turning to them <laughs> and rebuking them. And then our humble friend John, Mark 9, verse 33, we see the first time where the Bible speaks about the disciples being in one place. Um, oh, sorry, I think I might have given the, the wrong verse there. But it speaks in Mark 9, it, it speaks about how the disciples were arguing amongst them who is the greatest. So there's this, there's this whole thing of, like, I can also just picture, like, I did this, I did this, Jesus said this to me. And there's this comparison. But the sons of Zebedee just always have to take it a bit further. So Mark 10, verse 35 to 39, we see how they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Jesus said to them, you don't, do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And you, with the baptism that, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Is that it? Sorry. Okay. Um, but then Jesus goes on to say, but do not be like those who lord it over others. Um, and he, he puts them in their place. But again, there's this, there's this tendency, the John that we now know as humble, speaking of himself in third person, it was the same guy that went up to Jesus and said, I want to be your right-hand man in glory. And so the, the question is, how does this son of thunder, the one who wants to call fire down from heaven to consume a village, become the one we refer to as the disciple of love? The one that Jesus said and speaks about his beloved. The one that we see as humble. And actually also very significant for me is John was the one that Jesus asked to take care of his mom as he was, he was being crucified. Uh, and and the, the tradition tells us how, how John actually took care of her till her death. And he actually remained in Ephesus while a lot of the other disciples were sent all over. And so the question becomes, what is this type of transformation that takes place in a person? We live in a time where there is no lack of resources when it comes to self-improvement, self-help, five steps to a better you, <laughs> whatever it might be. And oftentimes these things aren't bad in themselves, but 
what they tend to do is they deal with symptoms and not the heart. They try you to change your actions, change your habits, but they don't actually change the thing that is wrong in the area. And true transformation, the transformation that Jesus offers us is that which starts in the heart. And so I want to look at two specific things just out of the story with John. And the first thing with John is we see his journey of transformation started with an encounter with Jesus. We see this in, in Luke 5 where, where Jesus comes to them and he calls them to follow him. There's this uh, artist that I, I really enjoy listening to. His name's Jason Upton. And he's got this poem where he speaks about, we don't find God. God finds us. And it's, it's so true. I think for, for all of us, any of us that have been walking for Jesus for, for any amount of time knows it's God who finds us. And there's a lot of you here, and I mean, there's a lot of you that I don't know, and even the ones that I do know, I don't know all the things that are happening inside of you. But even this morning, the same God who came and met with these people is coming to you, and he's wanting to give you the opportunity to come and follow him. He's wanting to find you in the places that you are in those areas where, where you need transformation, he's coming in and he's calling you to come and follow him. And then the second thing that we see is, despite John saying, yes, I put up my hand, I come to the front, <laughs> I'm going to start following you. We see that he's still carrying quite a bit of things. And that's also true of all of us. We come to Jesus and our hearts get changed, but we come to him with what the Bible speaks about, flesh, human nature, like bad habits, years of doing things and, and things that our, our natural selves just gravitate towards. And not only that, we in a world where the whole time a completely different message is thrown at us. And the Bible doesn't just offer us the silver bullet that once boom, everything changes, you sort it, all your issues are dealt with, now you're this person that walks in kindness and in love. But it does paint us this picture, and what we see with John as well is the call to walk with Jesus and to be transformed, continually transformed into his likeness. And so considering the life of John, we see, once he starts following Jesus, he's obviously exposed to a lot of Jesus' teachings. So in the different places that they move and they go sit, to hear the Sermon on the Mount, uh, to hear the, the way that Jesus breaks down the Beatitudes. They've got the inner circle being able to ask him questions about the parables and, and for him to explain some of the parables to them. He also sees the miraculous things that Jesus does. He was one of those that was brought in when um, the one girl was raised from the dead. He saw Jesus feeding 5,000. He saw Jesus walking on the water. Many people healed. But more than just those expressions of God, something else that he had was he had an intimate relationship with him. 
John was the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest. He was the one who lived close enough to Jesus to be rebuked by him. He was one of those that Jesus called to the mountain when he went and prayed. He heard the voice from heaven affirming, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We got to see the inner life of Jesus. And so it wasn't just the teachings, but out of this place of walking with and knowing and seeing the heart of God, there's something in him that changed. And I realized when, when I started, started following God, there, there were certain things at that time where um, um, a lot of people were speaking about healing and um, like having faith in God to heal. And it, it used to bother me a bit, like, yo, I struggle, but I mean, if Jesus was here, if, if he was here in person, it would be so much easier to believe. And I think if we look at the life of John, we see this person who was this rowdy, call fire down from heaven, person whose heart completely changed. There is the danger of trying to of say, but he went through all of those things. He got to be with Jesus so personally and spend time with him in person, actually touch him and hear the words from his mouth. But if we look at the words of Jesus in John 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. <laughs> hold up, hold up. This doesn't make sense. Like Jesus, who, who does all of these things, who performs these miracles, who teaches the, the disciples by his own mouth, they're hearing him say these things. And he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then the next portion, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so this promise that he gave to his disciples of the Holy Spirit that will be poured out, that will teach you, is the same promise that stands for us. We see in the word that as we come to God and as we give our lives to him, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now this remains true, that he wants to speak, that he wants to lead, that he wants to, to transform us and teach us his ways. But there's a certain language that God uses, a certain language of the kingdom. I listened to a, a really cool sermon recently of a guy named Tim Keller, and he used this brilliant example when it comes to learning a language. So about a year and a half ago, uh, myself and a few friends went to the Trans Science. And um, Kyle, who's also part of the congregation, can speak Xhosa. So we were chuffed. We're going to the Trans Sky. We're going to rough it out. At least we've got someone that can translate for us. And it was so impressive to see him operate. <laughs> like the different places that we go, you hear the people making comments about the mlungus, and then Carl starts speaking, and then all of a sudden, everyone's looking. And 
coming back, all of us were like, we're learning how to speak. <laughs> like, we're definitely learning how to speak. And so, I initially we said we're going to do classes once a week in the evenings to learn, which didn't really play out. Then I was like, okay, but I really want to learn. So, I, I, I found this short course from UCT, printed out all the notes, kept it in the car with me. For those who know me, I always try to optimize my time. So, at university, I told... <laughs> I taught myself how to to read while walking to class. <laughs> so so I, would, I would sort of, you look in front of you, the street, there's no obstacles, and then you can zone in. And you read, and then you see, okay, look up again, and you go. So what I, a, a trick that I learned a few years back when I did an internship in the Brockenfell area, is you sit in traffic for like an hour. So I would also, boop pop up a book with something in front of me when you sit and then you drive and then you read again. So I decided I'm going to take this 10 minutes from home to work each morning and I'm going to learn ukuteta ikikosa. So come day one, it's molo, molo, molo. And then eventually you start getting things together. The kunjani, miyakwilila nkosi. Kodwa, and that's my, my talk with the security guard that sits in the, by the building. And week two comes, and I use exactly the same phrase. <laughs> week three comes, <laughs> and I'm still speaking the same language. We are one and a half years later, and my vocabulary is probably as big as Dan's Afrikaans vocabulary. <laughs> Just... <laughs> like to think I can take 10 minutes every morning, spend a bit of time in this little book that I put together, and think I'm going to learn this language. Yo, if Mama Lindy were to speak to me now, I would be so lost. I've spent enough time to differentiate between the different clicks and to know how you spell them, but to really know the nuances of the things that she's telling me. I would need a lot more time. I would need to actually immerse myself within this language and with these types of people. And the scary thing is, for us as Christians, that's oftentimes the way that we approach God. That's the, the way that we approach the Word. I'm going to do a quick 15 minutes before I head to class or before I go to bed. I'm going to come to church on a Sunday and have a two-hour session. And then we go out and we live our lives doing the things that we like to do, not really caring to learn and to learn how to hear the voice of God. In John 10, we, we see how Jesus says how his sheep hear his voice. They know him and they follow him. And God is speaking. The Holy Spirit is wanting to lead you. But do you know when he is speaking? Like, are you actually able to make out the things that he is saying? It requires us to give ourselves over to him and the things of God. And we, we see in, in passages like Romans 12 how it says, Do not be transformed to the patterns and the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it goes on then to say that, that you may be able to discern what the will of God is. And that transformation of the mind comes as we're walking with, as we're spending time with God. 
as we're engaging with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, as we're getting into the Word, as we, we're fellowshipping with other people. And I think for a lot of us, like once we've tasted something of God, once we move on to this next step of allowing Him to come and change the way that we think and experience things, it's, it's exciting, that first bit. Like it's exciting to, to get to know about this upside-down kingdom where the last will be first and the first will be last, about serving, about loving. That I see it so often, and I see even myself gravitate towards a place where Kala was speaking about it about two weeks ago, where you become familiar with it, and the attitude becomes, I know. Like, I know the language. I know the things that God says. I grew up with this. I'm able to speak speak the way. And the danger is that, as my Google Maps Sunny often says, you have arrived at your destination. <laughs> we think that we have arrived at our destination. But the call is to walk with Jesus for the long run. And something that's incredible for me if I look at the life of John. So 1 John, 2 John, 3 John was written between like 50 to 70 years after Jesus' death. So it's a significant time after he actually had this experiences with, with him, walking with him and hearing him. And if you go look at the language that John uses, especially in 1 John, the different pictures and the different themes, and you go read the Gospels, it's, it's as if someone has spent a lot of time chewing on, meditating on the words of Jesus. And you can almost, like if you read 1 John after you read the book of John, it's like you can almost hear Jesus' voice as John is communicating certain things to this church. And, I mean, for us, if, if we're spending time with our friends, we very quickly pick up certain mannerisms and certain words that we, we throw in. But then when you move on to a next group of friends, you oftentimes lose that and you just adapt. But John's life and his way of speaking shows that even 50 to 70 years later, he was still hearing the words of Jesus. He was still walking with God. And one of the things that I think is core to that in the book of Revelation, which is also written by John, in Revelation 1, uh, we see John is exiled to this, the island of Patmos. He's there by himself. And then there's this little sentence just before we start seeing all those interesting visions and stuff that he experienced. It says, how on the Lord's day, John was taken up in the spirit. And it's, it's almost as if there's, there's this positioning for John to experience something. And it's in, like, just interesting that they point out on the Lord's day, like there's, there's this, there's this aspect to, a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? A rhythm of spending time and seeking God. Like we see through the book of Acts how it was a regular thing for the people to meet together on the Lord's Day and to seek God. And here, 70, 80 years later, we see it's highlighted on the Lord's Day, this thing happens. And that same thing, alone by himself on an island, <laughs> where no one can see, no one can guide him in a certain way, we see John having this incredible experience with God. And I think for, for us, and especially for those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, I want to ask, like, what reality is God's leading in your life? 
When was the last time that there was some form of transformation that took place? Something that Jesus put his finger on and says, ah, this needs to change. Something that he led you into. It was so beautiful for me last week. We had a, a, a time where we spoke about the word a bit, and it was worse. It was in our group, and um, we, we looked at a certain scripture, and we almost started crying where he was speaking about his, his desire to bear fruit, and where he feels he's not bearing enough fruit. And I think for all of us, we would look at someone like Mkwes and commend his, his life. But there's that closeness and like that desire to be with Jesus. Like it's not enough. I want more. And allowing God to come and put his finger on that thing. Are you just going about your life stuck in your ways, thinking you've got things figured out? Jesus fell into the pattern of the everyday Christian life. Or is that reality of the Holy Spirit who leads us, the Holy Spirit who makes known to us the ways of God, the Holy Spirit who transforms us. What is that reality in your life? And so my call for us this morning is to consider where we are at and just make that, that new commitment again to, to turn to God and say, God, come and have your way. Come and transform me. And so I, I want us all to, to maybe stand if 